Here at the Cavaliers Basketball Club podcast, we wanted to share with you that we use Anchor by Spotify because we find it to be the easiest way to make a podcast with everything you need all in one place. Exactly. With Anchor, you can record and edit your podcast right from your phone or your computer. You can distribute your podcast with the click of a button to platforms like Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and my favorite, Overcast. It's also helpful that Anchor is the only place that you can directly post video podcasts to Spotify. And it's completely free. Download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started today. It's the Cavaliers Basketball Club Podcast. It's basketball time to kill. Love picks up Curry. Kyrie Irving from downtown. Up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. It's over. It's over. The 52 year is over. The Cavaliers have won the NBA championship. Cleveland, this is for you. Sexton works on Irving. Hey. The shoot around. Well, another week has gone by, and the second round is coming to a close. All series have a team up 3 2, but there have been some big surprises along the way. Embiid has been struggling since breaking his face, but Miami also doesn't seem to know how to seal the deal. And apparently Chris Paul's family was threatened the other night? I don't know, it's been pretty wild. Yeah, that was very wild. I have also found that the Bucks celtics series has been a complete delight. Last night the Celtics were up by as much as 15, but the Bucks still got the win. It was a literal historic win for the defending champions. Also, the Warriors got blown out by the Grizzlies, which means the questions of Curry not being able to close out a series are rearing their head once again. Well, I also saw that the Sacramento Kings recently hired Mike Brown as their head coach. How do we think he'll do? The Mike Brown that was the Cavs coach. There isn't another Mike Brown that isn't just like being made up out of thin air. I had to look it up to be sure. But yeah, unfortunately, (laughs) same dude. Yep. I think he'll maybe do as well as his second stint with the Cavs. I mean, he has a couple solid players for the Kings, unlike what was going on in Cleveland. Um, But maybe he can also look forward to getting paid money to be an assistant coach somewhere else in a few years. Second stint with the Cavs is dismal. So I don't know. You must you really have high hopes for him over there in Sacramento. (laughs) Yeah, I had a couple little quick notes uh, that I wanted to point out just on this one. 21 years as an NBA coach, 8 as a head coach, 13 as an assistant. He's coming out. Uh, he's coming off of about 5 years as an assistant head coach with the Warriors. I'm surprised he got this job, and especially because the articles that you see are all touting his experience coaching LeBron and Kobe, which anybody that's fans of the Cavs or the Lakers knows why he had success with those players. It has nothing to do with him. So, Sorry, Mike. You seem like a very nice guy. Big shock that you got it over Mark Jackson. I think that was the better pick. But How about you? Do you think it should have been Mark? I think Mark Jackson was ready to come back, and I think that he deserves another chance. 
I don't. He's he, he, Jackson's been an announcer though, so it's always hard to tell like how coach ready somebody is going to be when they've been announcing. But I also just like what you brought up. If you just look at his record, you're like, wow, this guy is one of the winningest coaches right now in the league. I think it's like top six or top eight. But when you watch those teams, you really kind of understood how they worked. And if Mike Brown would have been a better coach, it's more than likely LeBron wouldn't have left. Just putting that out there. One finals appearance swept. 305 wins, 187 losses. He owes LeBron a big gift every year. Yeah. Mobley and Garland are the core of the team. Of the three, which one of them do you expect will take the biggest leap, and why? For me, I think the easy answer is Evan Mobley, essentially because he's the youngest. And so you always feel like the player that's the youngest player has the quote-unquote most potential. Mobley clearly already has shown a lot for the Cavs, being worldly on the defensive end and being a very good NBA power forward on the offensive end, which not that both of those surprised us, but the offensive side definitely made us salivate a little bit more just because we thought he really wouldn't have those skills developed well. In my estimate, I would say Mobley is the easiest answer, but I also feel like Allen, I know that he was an all-star, but I think Allen has to take a bigger leap in being a veteran NBA center who is essentially an intimidator, a shot blocker, a defensive rebounder, a guy who is the true grit of the Cavs, which I think that's something that the reason why I say that that's a big leap for him is I think that he has a very attack heavy mindset, especially when dunking and blocking the ball. But I think that he isn't truly a quote gritty player yet. And that's, I think some of that's with seasoning. You and I have talked about it in the past. Even last week, we brought up Lamar Stevens and how we felt like he was a quote core player. One of the reasons why we said that was because he is a grit and grind type of player. He is a guy who isn't going to back down, even depending on what the matchup is. I think Jared Allen kind of needs to take that leap where he will go in every night and not back down from these centers. That means that he has to handle Embiid almost by himself. That means he has to handle Djokovic by himself, Gobert, all these centers. I want him to take that leap, and I feel like he can take that leap of just locking those guys down. He has the defensive tools. He has the size and the strength. It's really more of getting his head right in understanding the ins and outs of his opponent's game. So, yes, Mobley's the easy answer, but... I think Allen has the ability to take the, quote, biggest leap because that would be the most surprising thing for the NBA world to see Jared Allen locking down Embiid or Jokic. With Evan Mobley, he was definitely such a pleasant surprise. Uh, you and I were excited that he was chosen with our pick last year, and we expected him to be in the running for Rookie of the Year. We really believed that was possible because of just the skill level that he was coming in the league with. He 
performed above and beyond our expectations. So Evan Mobley, to ask him to take the biggest leap into next year is kind of hard for me because he's already coming in so much further ahead than most people out of college. And it's because of his upbringing in a basketball family, playing alongside his brother. And with Jared Allen, I, I think I agree that he's the guy I'd like to see take the biggest leap out of the two of them because I felt like in the first couple of weeks of the season, we saw that. We saw a guy that was averaging 25 and almost 15 and just going out there dominating. And you saw all the different ways that not only he worked on his game in the offseason, the way the Cavs asked him to, but also he he clearly had taken you know a few other initiatives in stride and was starting to master those as well. His ball handling has clearly gotten better. Um, he can go with either hand. Um, he's starting to feel more comfortable with hook shots, uh, hook shots and tap-ins, and um, he's even taking the occasional three. You can tell that he wants to add that to his game. So Allen is very exciting, but what I would say is the two of them combined is what I think is going to stop players like Embiid in this league because... I still have the belief that they don't have the size to stop a guy mm. like that. But I I have this idea in my mind of one day them being the, the Bash brothers of the NBA or the Block brothers of the NBA, you know, where I think both of their um, savvy ability to know where they should be at all times on the court. They have great basketball instincts about where their positioning should be. I think that with them playing off of each other and really knowing each other, it's going to be almost impossible when they're out on the court together for people to feel they can be comfortable in the lane. So I, um, I'm excited about what they can be together, and I think that they, can, they probably will take the biggest leaps together, not not separately. Long way around to then also say, which one of these three do I expect to take the biggest leap? I kind of expect, I do expect that Allen should maybe take that next leap, but there's so much talent on this team. And with Sexton coming back, and I believe that he's going to come back, now we get to find out if Sexland works. Because before, the, the piece that we weren't sure about was Garland. Was he going to grow into that NBA caliber player that they believed when they drafted him? He did. He's got to stay consistent now, but it's not clear yet that they can play together and that there can be that small of a backcourt and still be successful in this league. The fact that, you know, the, the average height in the NBA is still about 6'7". So with Sexton still being 6'1", I've heard nothing about him growing, and I bet they would talk about it if he did. He's now a true point guard as far as height is concerned, and Garland may have to switch into the shooting guard position. And if he grows a little more, he could even maybe play small forward in some rotations. And we're going to have to see how he plays off the ball and what kind of duo they can become together as they share time in the starting lineup and then possibly have to play off one, uh, one another with one of them coming off of the bench, most likely Sexton more often than Garland. How does the team support these players taking a leap, do you think? Now that we've talked about who we think is going to possibly take those steps, how does the team and the coaching staff put them in the right position to do so? Well, one thing that I think is kind of funny is we write these questions out, we get this outline ready, and we essentially said all three of these guys we expect to take a leap, which I think is right. I honestly think that makes the most sense. For this team to not finish how they did last year, 
all three of these players have to take some level of a leap, right? Even if that's just in seasoning. So I think one way is to make sure that these players continue to play in meaningful basketball games. That means that Kobe and JB need to be on the same page about making sure that these that the Cavs are winning next year and they're winning against, you know, Eastern Conference teams and Western Conference teams that are high level, you know, teams like the Bucks and, you know, the the Heat and maybe we eke out a win against the Suns even. Wins like that would obviously help these players take even more of a leap. But I also think they need to acquire some talent in the offseason. We've used him before. We'll always keep using him. But Evan Damerall of Write Down Euclid, he's brought up the idea of the Cavs trying to go after Pat Connington of the Bucks and Dante DiVincenzo of the Kings. These are two probably would-be backup shooting guards who can shoot pretty well and can also defend very well which would be a big bonus for the Cavs because right now our main backup shooting guard, sometimes starting shooting guard, would be Levert and Okoro. They both kind of together make a very good player, but, you know, they're both kind of lacking in the opposite ways. Okoro is still trying to find his footing offensively, and Levert isn't the best defender in certain positions, right? He kind of gets a little too easily frustrated or flustered um, and takes some kind of ticky-tacky fouls. So I would say they need to do some player acquisition with getting guards who can handle the ball and take some responsibility of running some plays and can also defend well. And then we've said it before, I think they need another center, not an Ed Davis, who can give them some meaningful minutes occasionally to spell Mobley and Allen so that they're just better rested. Health is going to be a priority for this team next year, and so they need to make sure that they have insurance policies so these guys stay healthy. That's kind of what I'm thinking. Are there other things that they could do or even expect of these players to help them take that leap? Well, I do agree that it would be good for us to pick up another center. You know, we probably will keep Ed Davis. There's so many questions like that right now that are open-ended until the draft is over and until we see what players we move. Because I I have a feeling there's going to be a trade. There's going to be some type of deal where Kevin Love gets moved, Levert gets moved, uh, Jetty gets moved, maybe all of them together, maybe, you know, separate packages. I mean, who knows what it's going to be, but I have a feeling that They've got enough redundancy and certain pieces on this team that with Sexton coming back, especially if they sign him, then they don't need Levert. And I always say there's only so many shots. So I don't care that Okoro can't really be featured as an offensive guy. And the fact that he had three or four games last season with 20-plus points, he's going to get there. In the Mm -hmm. meantime, he locked down small forwards in his rookie season. And in his sophomore season, he seemed to do just as well at the shooting guard position. So we, we already have that defender at the shooting guard. I'm still not convinced we need anybody that isn't already on this team until we get through the draft and figure out what we're doing with some of these redundant pieces. I'm excited to see what Garland and Sexton do together. Recently, I was reading an interview from GQ Sports, and Garland apparently did an interview with them where he was saying, uh, Sexton's future in Cleveland, I hope Colin stays around. 
I really like playing with him. He's super cool off the court, and we have a lot of similarities. We both like shoes and clothes, and we love the game of basketball. He was like a my big brother coming into the league. So hopefully Colin sticks around. Hopefully we get some more years to play with each other and make some playoff appearances. And then also he stated just about the team in general, we're a young team. We're fun to watch. It's lots of exciting basketball, threes, alley-oops, and dunks. Why not invest in us? We can only get better. We young and we lit. It meant a lot to see that confidence from the front office in me, saying Garland, just knowing that if anything was to go wrong, they'll have my back. I'm there for Cleveland. I love the city of Cleveland. I love the people and organizations, so it's cool just being there. I do believe in his sincerity. I think a lot of these guys have appreciated the opportunity that the Cavs have given them because that's how they seem to um, phrase it or acknowledge it. And they all seem to love to play with one another. We've talked about how it's such a breath of fresh air that this team is playing together compared to the Irving waiters years. Mm -hmm. So I think that the reason why we chose all three to take a leap is because we believe that this team would have taken a leap this year if it hadn't been for the devastating injuries Mm -hmm. and the hardest schedule out of any team. Mm -hmm. I think we would have taken that leap. And now with the what I consider the field general of our team and the leader of our team coming back in Sexton, why wouldn't we take the next leap forward? And if we don't, then the Cavs are going to know they have to blow this thing up and kind of reprioritize who's going to be the future going forward. But I think we absolutely know it's Allen, Mobley, and Garland, no matter what. Some of the fouls we've seen this postseason have been ridiculous, both from the players and from the refs, with everyone pointing fingers at the other. Does the NBA have a problem? My observation of this past season, and probably the season before, and a little bit of what I've seen of the playoffs this uh, this year, both the players and the refs have a lot of blame. They both have a lot of blame to share because the refs are awful and the players are flopping, you know, and any refs that listen to our podcast, which I know they, they don't right now, but if you ever do, uh, I hate you. No, 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 no. <laughs> I know it's a hard job, but as a Cavs fan and being a Bulls fan and, and, and following the league my whole life, I really do believe that you guys don't give a crap about calling it our way and you never have. And so I inherently just know there's going to be a moment or two every game. I'm going to disagree with you. I think that ever since instant replay became such a thing and all of these challenges and things with it throughout all the sports, it's lost a little bit of its credibility because we can all make better calls from home. We all have better angles than they do and it's not their fault. But over the years to me, I've witnessed kind of both sides lose their credibility. I've been saying only about the refs, in my opinions there, as far as the players are concerned, it's like watching soccer players that now play basketball. Basically, I've seen these plays where these players jump up in the air to shoot, and you know the defender goes in and grabs their arm and pulls them a little bit downward. And these guys just go limp noodle in their legs. They just, they're, they're now trained to fall completely to the floor. Well, if you're in the air, you're falling directly to the floor, like that's a lot further to go. Uh, th- somebody's going to break a leg. You know, there's there's going to be a Paul George incident. There's going to be something bad. And I think that it's not fair to the defender to be called on a flagrant 
one or two because, you know, well, you yanked. At one point, you used to be able to, to hold a guy so that as they came down, you were kind of cradling their fall. Now, like, if you touch them at all while they're in the air and as they come down, they're just going to go, ah, and they're going to fall down onto the ground like they have no control over their limbs. So I that alone, I just wanted to start with that because that alone gives neither side credibility and from a fan standpoint makes the game almost unwatchable because these moments happen at critical moments in every game and you're like i can't put up with either side acting this way i think one of my major frustrations was coming into this season specifically the nba said that they were going to not call certain flopping calls and they they weren't going to make them fouls. Well, they only did that for like two-thirds of the season. And so the last third of the season and now into the playoffs, they're calling more plays where the offensive player is initiating contact by jumping into dudes. Like what you mentioned, you know, one of my favorites is when a guy shoots a shot and somebody like barely grazes his fingernail and you would have thought that there was an earthquake in the building and he just falls. And so I think that the placating of the calls and the acting that goes along with it is a major issue because the refs don't know what a foul is anymore because they're seeing a guy jump to the extreme of, oh my goodness, like what you mentioned, it, it looks like there were five defensive linemen from the NFL that just flew in and tackled a dude. That's how they're acting. And the ref is just, they're going to have to call a foul, even though nothing is there. I think that overall there is an issue where the NBA is kind of in this funky situation where they need to figure out how to legislate on the court what the expectations are of how that game is going to go and Mm -hmm. one of the major issues that nba games have is people foul hunt all the time and if you do foul hunt there's really no repercussion in soccer you brought up soccer If you take an obvious dive in soccer, you get tossed in professional soccer. Usually that's in the European leagues. I don't know if that's true in the MLS per se, but I've never seen that in the NBA. If a guy like James Harden or Embiid or Trey Young went up and acted so egregiously that they got fouled, they might say, oh, that's a common foul, or the ref might kind of talk down to them. But they're never going to get tossed. So until they start actually saying you're done for the game with flopping, the issue's always going to go back and forth. The final seconds. The Cavs have a 96.7% chance at staying with the 14th pick next week. Who should we take? So full disclosure, I have not watched barely any college basketball or international basketball. And I've really only relied on some of these draft boards. I really like the Ringers draft board. Uh, Kevin O'Connor is everybody in the NBA world knows him. He just really puts together an awesome board. And it's extremely helpful. Right now, O'Connor has Usman Diang out of France, possibly going to the Cavs with a 14th overall pick. 
but I actually like Tari Eason out of LSU and kind of reading about him. He's a guy that is essentially pure hustle and is a 6'8 small forward, which I would love to have on this team. I think all of our players hustle, but having a wing who his main trait is hustle and grittiness would just be awesome to have. The other thing that I love about him is he's known for his dunks. I think that's one thing that our team is lacking. We have Mobley and we have Allen who can dunk really well. But outside of those two guys who are seven feet, I think it'd be great to have a wing defender or a guy that isn't a center be able to score above the rim. Tari Eason, I think, is a great choice. I think he fits kind of what we're looking for. He's a product that can come off the bench and play that shooting guard, small forward position. I like that he shoots 37% from three coming out of college. A lot of the guys around him in the draft are worse than that. And I think he, he's he got a lot of upside as a player. I think also the one other player that you had mentioned to me off uh, off mic is uh, Oche Abaji. It looks like he's probably going to be taking a few picks before us. But uh, if he is still available at 14, I think we get, need to take a long look at this guy. He's coming off of a season where he shot 47% from the field, 40% from three. He averaged 18.8 points a game this uh, this past year. He's coming from a real pedigree of an institution in the Jayhawks, Rock Chalk Jayhawks, right? So ultimately, that's the guy I think I would want over Tari, no offense, um, if he is available. I think he would fit what we're looking for at that shooting guard position, possibly, if Okoro's just not going to meet our needs. He's certainly a better shooter coming in. That's a really interesting choice. I also think that another option, which is not available here, and it's uh, we trade the pick and mm-hmm. uh, and we package something with the other two, like I mentioned before. So that's still a possibility, but we'll find out on Tuesday, right? Kobe Altman finished in second place for NBA Basketball Executive of the Year. Should he have won? Considering that he lost to Memphis's Executive Vice President of Basketball Operations and General Manager, Zach Kleinman, I would say no. Because uh, Memphis made the playoffs, and they've been pretty impressive. More so even when they're missing one of their best players. Which, let's not go into that, but weird. I think it's deserving. Again, this season, a lot of the awards that all of our guys missed out on, the, the people that won them, it makes sense that they did. And it's because of the fall-off that we had in the last 30 games of the year. If we had stayed as strong as we started, they would have possibly won these awards. So next year, hopefully, less injuries. More wins, more wins for them. I kind of feel the same way. I hope that they are able to get some of these end-of-the-season awards next year, mainly because that means that they are in the playoffs still, um, as opposed to this year. And I think Altman himself would say that they're not done yet. They're a team that's still building, and he still has to prove proof of concept with the squad and really showing the rest of the NBA landscape that the Cavs are a team to be reckoned with. So yeah, I completely agree. If the Cavs have a chance to sign Tristan Thompson, would you want him back? I got to watch him play a few games last season, and I think he's still a good rebounder. I think that he's still a really good player in the sense of hustle stats, but he's not a guy that is a good backup center for what this team needs mainly because his size and his athleticism aren't what they were. I mean, he, he wasn't ever super big in height sense, 
He's a player that I think the Cavs are happy to not have to go back to. There are other centers that the Cavs could go after that would fit better. You? Yeah, no, big, big no. Um, Tristan, hey, you had some great years with us, and I loved his tenacity. I loved how much he wanted to be a Cav, how much he wanted to stay here even when LeBron left. And he, he stepped up and switched to the center position in his final three out of four years here. But he's been a power forward ever since. His numbers have cratered there in half of what he averaged for his career. It would be a sentimental thing. It would be like a Verizhao coming back to play a final season and then retire kind of thing. And I, I don't think we need that right now. I don't think there's enough room on our roster for him. So no offense, but no. What Eastern Conference team do you think will become more of a rival next season? Well, this is a tough call because I think the East has become extremely tight and all of the teams are neck and neck this season. I don't think next season is going to be any different. One through 10 is going to be vying for a playoff position uh, next season, just like this year. The Knicks should have been better than they were. I think the Pacers will figure it out. I think the Pistons eventually will get better. Um, and then, you know, down the line from there, the Hawks, I think, are still going to be, unfortunately, annoying enough to be around. And the Bulls, I think, are on the rise. The Heat are going to be there for a little bit longer. The Celtics are going to be there a little while. The Bucks are going to be there a while if they keep Antetokounmpo. So I would say I would probably look to our division and point to one of those teams because you see them more often. And there's already enough kind of history of disliking each other. So I'm going to say the Bulls. I think if they continue to make the moves that they have and with DeRozan and his attitude and all of that, I saw some chippiness in the games that we played them this year. And I think that uh, there's some history there where because we're so close by, I know Chicago players have uh, cut down Cleveland and uh, in the past. And I think that there's still some bad feelings about that. So I would say the Bulls could easily be our next biggest rival, at least in the East. What do you think? I mean, depending on how the team plays next year, I'm going to go with the Hornets, mainly because talked about the refs earlier in the uh, the pod, and the Hornets were the opponent that probably had the most egregious, glaring ref mess-up that I've seen as a fan ever, and that was when Terry Rozier got four free points, even though the play had been blown dead and uh, everybody understood that he was just taking a practice shot. So I think the Hornets are another young, up-and-coming team that has a chip on their shoulder. Maybe one team will be better than the other. I'm hoping the Cavs will be. But I think that there will always be some chippiness with them because of this season alone and that specific call. Thank you for listening to the Cavaliers Basketball Club podcast. Let's go Cavs. Cavs.